Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, episode 81. My name is Alina Warwick, and today we have Maria Carr on the show. It was all done in our leisure time over the weekends, in the evenings, in the mornings, you know. There is a huge time difference with Russia, so we yes. started having those conversations. We were waking up at 5 in the morning to get our calls at 6, at 7, at 8, before we could begin our working day. Maria originally came to study communications to New York City from Siberia, Russia, when she was 19 years old. She came all by herself and had no family or friends. After college, she found a PR agency to work for. The PR agency was focused on Korean beauty products, and that is where she realized that there was no one in the United States that sold Russian beauty products. So she decided to change that. She launched her company, Rumor Beauty, with her husband during COVID as a side hustle while still working her 9-to-5 job. But soon after, she realized that the company was growing and she had to take a lot more time to work on it. So she quit. Rumor Beauty is the very first company in the States that sells Russian beauty products. She brings in amazing Russian brands that have ingredients from the Russian nature, keeping the mission of natural and clean products straight from Russia. And so let's hear all about her journey and how it all started for Maria. All right, Maria, thank you so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I truly appreciate your time, and I'm so, so excited to hear all about your journey. So welcome to the show. Hi, Lena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and very excited for this conversation. So let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the United States? I was born and raised in a small town in Siberia, Russia. The town is called Barnaul. It's not necessarily a very small town, but I would say about half a million people, but it's very remote. So if you were to think of where it is geographically, it's about 52 hours by train to Moscow. So if you imagine the map of Russia, it's right in the middle of the country. I came to the US when I was 19 years old. Okay. And what was it like growing up in Russia? I'm assuming it was really, really cold in the winter. <laughs> yes, I get this question a lot. So, you know, a lot of people think that Siberia is such a cold, snowy place. And yeah. sometimes is. Of course, our winters are very cold and frosty and snowy and we get, you know, all types of low temperatures over there in winter. But our summers are pretty warm. We go to the beach, we grow fruits and veggies in the gardens. It's a very nice place, actually. I have very good memories of my childhood growing up, you know, having four seasons and having access to nature and just really being surrounded by this like, cozy small town vibe that we we used to have and I really like it. So, but growing up, I was always dreaming of going to a bigger city, always being where, you know, in a place where things are moving forward, where things are going very fast. So when I found myself in New York, it was really the type of a life that I wanted to have growing up. Okay. So tell me in Russia, back in Siberia, did all of your cousins attend a college? Was it easily accessible? Because I know where I'm from in a really, really small town, like no one went to college. So like 18 years old, you were done with high school, then you kind of just got married or did like labor work or worked at a manufacturer or like a factory. So what was that like from the city that you were from? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like when I was growing up, like almost everyone I knew went to college. The question was whether or not you could afford college 
college because that was a very separate thing. You know, I went to university there. I started university there in 2004 and it was not easy to get in for free. The economy of the country just started to reshift from, you know, the lifestyle that people used to have back in the 90s and 80s and 70s to the economy of 2000s. And that was a very capitalist driven, capitalist oriented economy. So everything those days started to cost money. You want to go to college, you need to pay for college. You want good things in life, you need to pay for that. So it was very interesting. And I was so incredibly lucky that I was actually able to get in for free. My family did not have money. You know, I grew up, I wouldn't say poor family. I had all of the love I could imagine. So I, I, I <laughs> but we were not rich. We did not have luxuries. We did not go on vacations. It was just really going from day to day, just trying to see what's next. And I knew from the beginning that I would not be able to go to college unless I could get in for free. So I had to study hard. I was also so lucky to be chosen to participate in a competition in Moscow. That's why I know it takes 52 hours to travel to Moscow from my hometown. <laughs> we had to take the train. <laughs> And I was incredible. Like it was such a great experience. And I got an award there. And that award combined with my high school grades, everything together allowed me to get admitted into university for free without actually passing any exams, which was a true blessing. So I found myself a newly minted student at Altai State University back in 2004, studying foreign languages and philology. Foreign languages and what? Philology. Awesome. And so you mentioned that you started going to college and then did you finish or is that when you went, came to United States? I did not. You know, I always wanted to explore. And when I was in college, you know, I was studying foreign languages. I also went to English school when I was in high school. Okay. And foreign cultures always fascinated me. I was so curious. I, I wanted to travel. And as I said before, I did not have the means to travel on my own. So I was always applying to all types of different programs. I wanted to explore the world. I wanted to <laughs> just see what's going on. I was so excited to do that. And there was a program in college that allowed university students to go to the U.S. and spend some time here on an exchange and then come back and continue their studies. So I, I started to prepare for that, file all the paperwork, started to save some money. And I came to the U.S. right in the middle of my university studies, two and a half years in. So the whole program was five years. It was supposed to be five years. And then I came right in the middle. I studied for two and a half years. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll go to the U.S. I'll spend some time here and then I'll come back and I'll continue. It was not my intent to actually come to the U.S. and stay, but that's exactly what happened. I came to the U.S. and I realized that there are so many opportunities here. So I passed some tests, got myself into college here in the U.S. instead, took some time off officially from my college in Russia, but then it never happened that I got back there and finished the study. So I stayed here instead and graduated from college here in New York. And what did you study in college in New York? Communications, corporate communications. Okay. So you seem like a runaway student from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. <laughs> okay. So tell me, at 19 years old, you came, I'm assuming, all by yourself. Did you have any family or friends? What was that journey like for you? 
I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I was 19, as you said. I had $200 in my pocket. No oh friends. Oh my goodness. No family. I thought that it was okay. Now I'm looking back and like, oh no, what was I thinking? <laughs> but back then, you know, at 19, I guess you don't think about a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> you just go for it, which I don't think is a bad approach in life in general. I think a lot of like, sometimes people just overthink and think about all of the bad scenarios that could happen, but then you just go for it and things work out somehow. So right. I and uh, I mean, of course, I didn't know anyone and I did not have any friends or even like people who I could ask for advice. And of course, with time, I started to develop those relationships. I started to meet wonderful people who've been very helpful and very supportive and taught me all of the basics of the life here in the U.S. But I do remember that at the beginning, even the basic things. And of course, like back then, I didn't think about bigger things like, OK, like mm-hmm. what's my career move or like what's the bigger picture but all of the small things they were they seemed so foreign I remember going to a store and I, I needed a moisturizer but in Russia we don't call them moisturizers we call them day cream and night cream but then in the U.S. I could not find <laughs> a day cream and a night cream it was all moisturizers <laughs> I spent quite a good chunk of time staring at the shelf and all of the products and then it was the same with food I remember going to a restaurant someone asked me how I want my eggs cooked and like are there different ways to get them cooked? <laughs> Are there different ways? You know, I had no idea. So it took a little bit of time to get accustomed to the U.S. way of life, to get to know what to get at the store, to navigate New York subway system, where I got lost at least a couple of times in my first year. I think all of our New York listeners <laughs> came to New York, those who were not born and raised in New York. But yeah, it was a lot of navigation, I'd say, and a lot of trial and error and trying to figure out what's good and what's not. But at the end of the day, it all worked out. And, you know, I I got a lot of friends. And then eventually I was able to invite my mother to come and visit me after a couple of years. So it just all started to fall into place. But it it took a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. So, Maria, tell me about your journey to Rumor Beauty. So you finished college and you got a communications degree. What happened after that? Great question. So I was, you know, being a student here without a support network, without friends of family who, or like friends of parents who would have probably gone through college here in the U.S. who knew the system. I didn't have that. So I had to navigate the whole space of college and career all on my own, or maybe some occasional advice from friends who were going through the same thing. So I didn't know about the concept of an internship up until I was about to graduate. Throughout my entire college time, I was working at the restaurant. I was working crazy hours to sustain myself, to pay for my education, to to just live here in the U.S. and study at the same time. A semester before my graduation, I realized that I need to get an internship, right? (laughs) I started to apply. I was very lucky and very fortunate to get accepted into an internship program at Warner Music Group during my last semester. And, you know, I studied corporate communications. So there were multiple opportunities for me to pursue when it came to the areas 
fields, career fields. I was considering public relations. I was considering marketing, HR, all types of different things. And at Warner Music, I was actually placed into a human resources department and I was recruiting interns for the next semester, which was a very, very fun internship. I met wonderful people along the way. When it came time to graduate, Unfortunately, they could not keep me in a full-time position, but they recommended me for an opportunity at HBO. It was a consulting role, but, you know, I was a recent grad. It was 2011. I decided to go for it. I was so excited. HBO was the holy grail of entertainment (laughs) back in the days before Netflix or, you know, other big platforms that we have access to right now. So I did not hesitate and I got the position and I had such an amazing time. It was a contract role, so I was there for about a year. And when my contract started to come to an end, I started to think, do I really want to continue my career in human resources or do you want to try something else? And I started to go deep and kind of like peeling the onion layers of my childhood dreams and all of the thoughts that I had growing up, even back home in Russia. And I realized that I actually would love to do something that may be a bit more creative. And I thought of public relations. That was something that I dreamt about when I was back in school, back in Russia. And I thought that, okay, now or never, now may be the best time because I'm already at this turning point in my career. I'm one year out of school. I still have flexibility to change things and truly pursue my passion. So I embarked on this incredible journey of public relations, which was not easy. I thought I was only one year out of school and I could get a foot in the door into any field because one year means nothing in in the bigger scheme of things. But recruiters didn't think that way. I actually was getting a lot of messages back saying that, oh, you know, you, you have career in human resources and we need public relations experience for an entry level position in PR. And I was so surprised by that. And I decided to still persevere and get what I wanted. So I found myself an internship very proactively with Film Society of Lincoln Center. I literally walked in and I said, I would like to be your intern. I would like to work here and you don't need to see me. I'll just show up a few times a week and I'll do whatever it needs to be done in your PR department. And they took me. They were also gearing up for the 50th New York Film Festival, which was a very big event for them. And they needed a lot of extra hands, a lot of helping hands on that. So I came in at a perfect time. And that's how I got into public relations. From there, I've been exploring, of course, full-time opportunities. And I was interviewing. I was looking for something that would speak to my personality, things that I liked. For example, I loved entertainment. I loved fashion. I loved beauty. And I actually ended up getting a job in a boutique PR agency focusing on beauty and lifestyle clients in New York City. And that was my first introduction into the world of beauty. Growing up in Russia in a small town, I never thought of beauty. I could not imagine that one day I'll be working in New York in beauty that was completely out of reach, completely outside of the wildest dreams that I could have had about my career back then. But here <laughs> I was. So I spent a few years working at that agency. Then I uh, switched a couple of places still on the agency side, doing public relations and communications, working across a very broad selection of clients from dermatologists and plastic surgeons to hair regrowth treatments to skincare, makeup, you name it. I was living and breathing beauty 
since the job at a PR agency that I got. The last four years leading up to a couple of months ago, I was leading PR for one of the largest global beauty companies in the U.S. And it was such an incredible job. I, I've got to experience so much. I traveled with the company. I was literally living and breathing. And the company was also focusing on the global beauty. It was beauty products from a different country that were paving their way here in the U.S. Specifically, it was Korean beauty. And when, as I was thinking about global beauty and beauty from all countries that we have a luxury of experiencing here in the U.S., I realized a couple of years ago that there was beauty from all over the world, but nothing from my home country. And it, it didn't bother me before, but then when I realized it, I started to think, seriously, how is it possible? You know, we, we <laughs> see from Asia, from Australia, from other European countries, from all over and the Russia world. Russia is so big. And Russia is so big and yes, and I just started to wonder, but then it also hit me that when I was growing up, we didn't use too many beauty products. You know, we had some, but they were not really glamorous beauty products, right. if you will. They didn't look sexy. They didn't look attractive. They, they didn't smell attractive. They <laughs> were not great. Or we had imported products and imported products were out of reach for so many people. They were expensive. They were not available oftentimes. Or when they were, they were sold out in a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. And I started to think, is there Russian beauty actually? So I went to Moscow in 2019 and I didn't go specifically to explore the beauty market. I actually went to Moscow to run Moscow Marathon. Out of the blue, it was a very random decision. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, I, I was running. Like running was not a random decision, but going to Moscow was yes. a very last minute. And I'm like, I'll, I'll just do it. I haven't been to my home country in so long. Actually, it was 10 years since I haven't been to Russia. So I decided to explore and run a marathon. And then I thought on my trip there, I should just stop by a few beauty stores and just see what's going on there. And I did just that. And what I found there it was just so fascinating because I did not expect to see all of the amazing products that were available. And they were born in Russia. They were made in Russia. They were inspired by Russian ingredients. So there were brands that were available that I had no idea about. And I was from Russia. <laughs> but the thing is that all of these brands that I discovered, they started to emerge right about at the time when I left, I'd say early 2000s and then onwards. And that's why I was not familiar with them. And I was so fascinated by the fact that they were not known outside of the country, that they were not known in the US, which is the largest beauty market. And at first I thought, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed something. <laughs> so let me go back and let me just double check and make sure that there is nothing because I could not believe that. I got back to New York. I started to look for products, look for mansions in media, going to different stores. No, not a single word. And then I realized, well, maybe if there is no one talking about it, I should be the one because I'm very passionate about beauty. I had a very good grasp on the beauty industry and I, I felt the connection. And I was so excited to be the person to help introduce those Russian beauty brands that were great to the larger audience and to beauty lovers here in the U.S. So that's how the idea for Rumor Beauty was born. 
Wow, what a remarkable journey. And congratulations on starting the very first Russian beauty store in the United States. So that is something to celebrate. And that is so, so exciting to see all of these immigrants bring something from their home countries. And this is how America thrives on immigrants. So I'm so, so excited to see what were the beginning stages for you like? So were you still working at your full-time PR agency while you started doing all this research and gathering all these brands together? What were those initial stages like for you? Yeah, so well, I think I'm still at very early stages, to be honest. But I started to do my initial research a bit less than a year ago. So I just started little by little asking friends, asking around, do you know anything about Russian beauty? Would you be curious to know more about it? What would you like to know? So I started to ask those questions to just see whether or not it was potentially of interest. And yes, I was still working my job. I was working at the company that I've mentioned that's also on the forefront of bringing global beauty products to the U.S. So I was there. So this was really my side hustle, if you will. I was at my office from nine to six, seven, eight, whatever. And then whenever I had free time, I was dedicating it to my soon-to-be, soon to materialize business. Of course, I got introduced to some of the brands when I was in Russia, but then I also started to do more research and I started to discover more and more brands. And most of them were skincare, but then there was also makeup and hair care and body care, all types of different products. And I started to reach out to those brands. My husband and I, my husband is my co-founder. So we put together a pitch deck. So we started to reach out to all of the brands. We developed our logo. It was all done in our leisure time over the weekends, in the evenings, in the mornings. You know, there is a huge time difference with Russia. So we started having those conversations. We were waking up at five in the morning to get our calls at six, at seven, at eight before we could begin our working day. And I have to be honest, the pandemic helped us in this because we've been working from home. So we got much more flexibility compared to, you know, the previous Mm -hmm. schedule where we had to be commuting in the morning, going to the office physically. So we got much more flexibility. But for me, it was always my principle that I still need to do my job. And then whatever side time, whatever extra time I have, that would be dedicated to the business so that my actual job doesn't suffer because I'm usually very proud of the work that I do. And I didn't want the quality to go down because of my new gig. Yeah. So it's fair. So going back to the initial stages, yeah. And we, we started making those, uh, t- taking those conversations, signing brands on board, then we placed an order for the product. We were very excited to receive that. And we launched to friends and family. It was a soft launch, the way we call it, in February. And starting May, just about a few weeks ago, we decided to be more vocal. I actually decided to dedicate more time to the business. So I left my job. This year? Yes. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yes, just a couple of months ago. So I left my job and I decided to focus full time on the business and dedicate pretty much everything I have to give in terms of time and effort and skills to the growth of Rumor. Awesome. And did you do cold calls to Russia to all these brands? How did how did you get the conversation started? 
Yes, yes. So we developed the pitch deck and we started, we, we mapped out, we lined up the brands that we wanted to work with. So there was a wish list okay. because we did a lot of research based on things that we saw in Russian media, based on the things that we've heard from people who live in Russia. We spoke with a bunch of beauty experts and, you know, just locals who are into beauty and who are potential users of the products. So we, we did a lot of research. We lined up a few brands that we really wanted to work with. And then we, we just started pitching and we, yeah, we had to call. We had to email, getting to people through WhatsApp, whatever contact information we could get. So yeah, it was, a, it was a fun time for sure. Yeah. And I love to see how cold calls and cold emails still work to this day. And I just want to express this to our listeners. Cold calls and cold emails still work to this day. You do not need direct relationship with even big brands, small brands, whatever brands you're trying to work with, whoever you want to reach, you can still find these contacts, pick up the phone and call or launch an email, go to their office, knock on some doors that still exists. And that can still be a success these days. So thank you, Maria, so much for sharing that. So I'm looking at your website, and I'm seeing high quality, natural, eco friendly, vegan, cruelty free and organic. Are they all vegan products or there are some that are vegan, some that are organic? Tell me a little bit more about your products. Absolutely. So the way we've been choosing the products, we wanted to make the connection with Russian nature because we, we just didn't want to go and get any product, right? We wanted to be something that would resonate with people, something that would make, something that would bridge the gap between Russia and the culture and the heritage and the modern day beauty products that just started to emerge about 15 years ago or so. So, and we found that this connection was nature because, you know, before beauty products started to emerge on the market the way we know them today, Russian women oftentimes used natural remedies. There was a remedy to make your hair long and silky and strong. There was a remedy to strengthen your nails. There was something for your skin. Because people, as I said before, they didn't have access to a lot of beauty products. So they depended a lot on going to their garden, picking up the natural ingredients, or maybe even going to the forest and getting some herbs and getting mm-hmm. berries, whatever else, you know, all of the gifts of nature. And we were scouting brands and products for the initial launch, at least, that would have that natural thread going through them. The products that we have, they are clean when it comes to formulation. So there are no toxic ingredients and no harmful ingredients. It's all very, very clean. And when it comes to natural, it really depends on the brand. We have one brand that is 100% natural. So they don't use anything but natural products. We have a few other brands that are 99, 99.5% natural. So for the most part, they are natural products. When it comes to vegan, also the majority of products are vegan. There are a couple of them that use honey Mm -hmm. and some ingredients that are also of animal origin, but the majority are vegan. And then for organic products, it's the products that we have. We have a special sticker on made with organic ingredients. So these are the products that have organic ingredients in them. So there is one brand that is very strict about their certification. Well, actually two brands, but one is certified natural, one is certified 
certified organic. So they take organic ingredients very seriously. And there are products that are 75% organic. There are products that are 65% organic. So it's all good stuff. And actually, it's, it's a great value too, because, you know, if you were to go and look for products that are of similar quality and have organic ingredients and have vegan ingredients, they probably will be a bit more expensive. Yeah. And I love the fact that your business model is taking working with brands that work with Russia's nature. Oh my goodness. Russia is what the largest country and just the landscape and the rivers and the oceans and just the landscape and mountains is so gorgeous. And you're right. Growing up, we didn't use a lot of, you know, face creams and whatnot because we used a lot of natural stuff from the backyard or from the from the forest. And to this day, I still go to the Russian store to get my my teas and my herbs. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's definitely something magical in the Russian landscape and, and country and just the pure serenity of pure air quality, right? Because it's not polluted and especially the Siberian mountains. But that's really, really exciting. And I'm so, so happy to see that you launched it and you're going to do amazing, Maria. So how old were you when you launched your business? 33. Did you need to contribute any savings to the launch of the business? Did you have any savings? Or you kind of just launched it as you went on with the cash that you had? Yeah, it was just whatever savings uh, my husband and I had, and we did not have huge inheritance or <laughs> we didn't win a lottery. So it was all just the savings from working our corporate jobs and saving a little bit here and there along the way. Again, I think the pandemic helped to curb our expenses a lot in the past year. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> not spend on going out or luxurious travel or just shopping, you know, we saved a little bit. We are self-funded. So yeah, we, we have a little bit of a cushion to go. We'll see how long that will take us through. But eventually we, we are not opposed to seeking some investment down the road. So we just need to find the right partners potentially. And when you first launched, you said you launched to your friends and family initially, like a soft launch. Did you see some traction right when you launched your business and started working with these brands or did it take some time? You know, we we got a few sales. So I feel like people were very excited when we announced the launch. You know, I announced launch on my personal Instagram. I announced it to, you know, just personally texting and emailing all of my friends. Yeah, and people were very excited. And actually, my friends were also very supportive. They started to spread the word. They started to repost my Instagram content. And then their friends started to see all of that. And they were reaching out. And I remember that on the first day when we made the site, live, I got a message from an eco-esthetician who specializes in natural products and clean products. She doesn't accept, she doesn't work with anything else but those types of things. Uh And you guys, we needed you to be here so much because there is a gap. There, There is a serious gap within the Russian community that Russian people they want to use these brands and these products, but they've never had an opportunity to do that just because those products were not available and shipping from Russia is complicated, it's expensive, it's time consuming, packages can get lost. So she was very excited that we were here and she's like, I'll tell all my clients about you. So it was, uh, <laughs> 
it was wonderful. And I mean, we're still very early. Like we're still very early on because we just soft launched in February. So it's only been a few months since we launched. And after the initial wave of friends, we started to get more orders from people who we didn't know and we didn't know where they came from. And <laughs> every time we see an order, pop, an order popping in, I'm like, oh, I don't know this person. That's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and that also means, you know, the, the word travels, word travels mm-hmm. fast. And we are very excited to reach people who we don't know, like we cannot even trace the connection. And that means so much to us. So when you work with partners, are you placing a large inventory with them and you're storing them in your house or apartment? Or how does the shipping work for you guys? Yeah, so, well, we placed, for us, it was a large order because we placed an order from six different brands. But when it comes to each brand, it actually wasn't that big, like quantity-wise, because, again, we were not sure what the market's going to look like. We were not sure what the response is going to be because we also have more than 50 SKUs. We have more than 50 products available on the site right now from six different brands. And we did our best in selecting the curation, but, you know, at the same time, it's what we thought would work, but then... The customer might have thought otherwise. <laughs> you are what your customer thinks. So we we didn't want to order a lot of quantities. We wanted to test the market, see how things go, which products are resonating well, which may not be. So I think for now, we're still in the testing mode and trying to figure it out. We, we have some obvious leaders, if I can say that. But yeah, there are a couple of products that really stand out and really resonate with our clients. Some products need a bit more love. But yeah, we, we ordered from the brands directly. We don't work with third parties. So we place an order with the brands straight from their manufacturing facilities. And we shipped everything. We found the logistics partner who helped us with getting everything, you know, paperwork, getting through the customs, <laughs> you know, getting things um, out of the customs. So that was a process as well, but it was very smooth. They were amazing to work with. So yeah, and then we picked up the shipment at JFK and yeah, we, we are just shipping directly to customers now. Where is all the stuff, all the products in your house? Yeah, we actually have a separate section in the house where we store it all. So wow. yeah, we have a, a large beauty room (laughs) that's our production facility i love it i would love to see some behind the scenes on your instagram (laughs) post of what that looks like (laughs) because initially that's where it starts a lot of people do start from their homes their garages their basements you know and eventually it grows but to capture those you know powerful moments in the beginning stages and then look back at them is so mesmerizing so a little encouragement there i'd love to see some behind the scenes Yes, we uh, we actually took lots of pictures when we first went to pick up the shipment, like how we've been loading those boxes. Yes, <laughs> yes, um, yes. You know, breaking up the pallets and just like the, loading everything into the truck and then unboxing everything. So that was a more like for the private archive for the time being, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? So Maria, did you have any mentors that helped you out to start your business by any chance? I wouldn't say that there was a particular person or a couple of people who guided us through the process, but, you know, I'm very inspired by female leaders in the beauty space. I feel like over the past couple of years, there were a lot of beauty brands that came to life, came to fruition. And oftentimes when you look at them, there are very powerful, very young, but very powerful women who are behind those brands. And just by reading their stories, understanding how they got the idea, how they launched it, how 
how they made it happen, especially in the early stages. It's been a source of inspiration to me and also watching the leaders, the corporate leaders in the beauty space has been a huge inspiration as well. Got it. Okay, so you're practically self-taught. You did the research by yourself and you and your husband just launched it and went for it. Yeah, that's that's about right. So what about marketing? Do you guys do any Facebook ads, Google ads? I know you initially said you guys launched with your friends and family first, but what about now? What's working for you guys now? Yeah, so it's a mix of things, to be honest. And again, I feel like we, since we are just uh, a few months into the new venture, we are still trying to test things out and try a lot of different things and combination of things to see what's working really well. So we've been reaching out to media. We were actually very fortunate to uh, get noticed by Allure magazine. They did a beautiful feature on us about a month ago on Allure.com, talking about the arrival of Russian beauty to the U.S., there was also a nice feature in New Beauty magazine. There were some smaller outlets as well that have already been talking about us and about our products. And there are a couple of things in the works too. So we are definitely working very hard to make earned media happen. At the same time, we are also working with influencers on social media. So we are identifying a few products that we would like to push from time to time. And then we we gift influencers. They talk about us on their channels. They help us spread the word about the products and what they liked about them and how they're using them and taking beautiful photographs. So that's another avenue that we take. And we just recently started to dip our toes into paid Facebook ads, Instagram ads. We are thinking about optimization before we are going to launch Google ads, because we just want to make sure that the site is fully optimized to get the most traffic from them. Because as you may know, Google ads are very expensive and very competitive. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we just want to make sure that we are fully prepared before we make the investment and that the investment actually brings us more value, more value for the buck. And do you outsource the marketing to someone else, a contractor worker, or are you doing this all by yourself? So Earn Media, we are doing it ourselves. So that's something that I work on a lot. Wow. In terms of paid marketing, we work with some consultants. This is a bit of a new area to both of us. So we we are looking for some expertise here and there and then work with people who are helping us execute. But again, we are just dipping our toes. We are experimenting with the best strategies, the best ways to execute those things, just because we want to be very careful with the investment and make sure that it brings us the most value that we can get from that. So Maria, I wanted to ask you, how do you stay productive throughout the days? You've got so many things running. You have so many things in the background, in the front. So what are some things that you've implemented, some strategies that help you stay productive and kind of away from distractions like social media? (laughs) Well, it's very hard, I'll be honest, to stay away from social media because a part of this isn't social media, right? Right. The distractions on social media, that's what I meant. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, it's very important to get in the zone. And then when I'm in the zone, I just power through it. And sometimes I just don't even realize it's just like, oh, wait, I just got to my desk. It was eight in the morning. And how come is it like eight in the evening? (laughs) 
<laughs> so time usually flies very quickly and I'm just trying to have a running list of things that need to get done. My husband and I, we are dividing and conquering very efficiently because, you know, our areas of expertise don't overlap and he's an expert in logistics and operations and finance and overall like business management. And for me, it's more on the creative side, public relations, marketing, content, those things. So we divide and conquer this way. And it helps a lot because I feel like if our areas of expertise were similar, maybe we would have been stepping on each other's toes. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it works really well for us. And yeah, just maintaining lists. And, you know, I honestly think that my passion for running helps a lot as well. As I mentioned before, I I like to run. And even if I step outside and do a quick 30 minute run or so, it just helps clear my mind so much. And then I just have a very fresh perspective on things. And some people may think like, oh, 30 minutes could have been spent working on the business. But actually, it's the opposite because, you know, after a while, you get a bit tired. You just get Mm -hmm. exhausted with the same things over and over again. And sometimes you need a very positive and healthy distraction to help yourself get back on track. Yeah, I love it. And so uh, let's switch gears and talk about mistakes or failures, because I know there's always a great story behind the mistakes and failures that we make. But in the end, it becomes a success by implementing something positive or a different change in our processes. So is there anything that you can share with our listeners that you encountered an obstacle, you found a mistake, but you implemented a new change and you saw success after that? That's a very good and challenging question at the same time. I feel like we, you know, because we are in new business, we kind of are still trying to figure a lot of things out. And it's probably a bit too early to reflect on the past. So like, oh, that's where I made a mistake. But I feel like my biggest mistake is not starting the business sooner. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. Sometimes it's it's very comfortable to be in a corporate job that pays you well. It's it's very, it, it could be challenging. Of course, it's a lot of work, but it's very comfortable knowing that there is a stable paycheck coming, getting into your bank account every couple of weeks and there is vacation. And then there are set hours and, you know, there are so many benefits to working mm-hmm. in the corporate world. And it may be very intriguing and very comforting. But on the other side, it's also, for me, it was important to realize that corporate may not be the only way to succeed in life and to do things. And I'm very inspired by young entrepreneurs. I watch a lot of shows and listen to a lot of podcasts that highlight entrepreneurial journeys And I'm always fascinated by sometimes people not having a lot of years of experience or not having the background in that immediate area where they launch the business, but then they just go for it and things work out and then they're living happy lives, they're succeeding, they're making things happen and they are really making an impact. And what they do truly matters to them and truly matters to the society as large. I think so far, I'm looking back, I'm like, wait, why did I wait until I turned 33 <laughs> to even start thinking about business, to even start thinking in this direction? Because my whole career was thinking that I actually need to get corporate experience. I need to get the knowledge. I need to get the know-how in order to start something on my own. But now I'm realizing that's actually not the case. And you can start anytime and you can still be successful. And your years of corporate experience 
experience or whatever experience, it may help, but it's not the deal breaker. And I always say the KFC guy started at 65 years old. So 33, (laughs) Maria, you're still super, super young. (laughs) There's people that wait till 65. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad I didn't wait until 65. (laughs) Yes. But no, you're totally right. There's a lot of times that we, you know, we we think that we could have done it a long, long time because we were fearful, because we saw a massive amount amounts of risk because we saw so many obstacles and we just said, Hey, I I have a salary. You know, the paycheck is always going to be there. And there's so many limited beliefs that we embrace and we embark on and we just think about on a, you know, weekly basis. So no, you're, you're totally right. And I'm with, I'm with you on that, Maria. So and I'm so great that you brought this up because this is also something I wanted to mention. I feel like as immigrants, we are sometimes not in a position to take risks. Again, like throughout my life, maybe sometimes I wanted to take a risk, but sometimes I was realizing that I couldn't because of the circumstances. Like I didn't have a safety net. I didn't have savings. I, you know, I came with $200 in my pocket and no friends here. So I had to play it safe oftentimes. And this is also a conversation my husband and I, we've been having a lot lately because he's he's much more of an entrepreneurial spirit than I am. And he's always been, and he's always had some crazy good ideas about starting a business and multiple different ways of doing it. And I was like, but wait, like, how are we going to pay our rent? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, because we didn't have family here who we could then, oh, like, okay, something didn't work out. We didn't have parents' house to move in back to, you know? We, right. we had to rely on ourselves. And I feel like that's something that many immigrants go through. But again, it took me a while to realize that that's not the case. You need to take risks in life and you just need to go and pursue your dreams. Yeah, but in the past, I was trying to play it safe and been a bit more, like more of a risk averse person. Yeah, you're totally right. And then and then when the immigrants do cross that line and open the business and, they, and then they learn everything and then they say, well, this wasn't bad. Why didn't I do this 10 years ago? Right, right. Right, exactly. Yeah. So Maria, what does the American dream mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. To be honest, I feel like my American dream has been evolving over the past 14 something years since I've been here. So at first I was like, oh, I need to graduate from an American college. And, you know, that was like in that stage and I, I was in that stage in life when I was a college student. And to me, that was something that was very important. And then I was thinking, I need to succeed in the corporate life. And I did. And then I was thinking, oh, we need to have a house and we got a house. And I feel like it was evolving and evolving and evolving. And of course, those may seem like very ordinary and mundane things to many, like, oh, like, who cares? Great from college or got a corporate (laughs) job or got a house. You know, many people have those things. But I also like in a bigger picture uh, perspective, I feel like American Dream is all about possibilities. And growing up, I could not imagine, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people in my hometown, they follow a very structured life cycle, if you will. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they go to school, they graduate. And in, uh, I know in your hometown, it was a different story. But in my hometown, you would go to a university, you'll get your degree, then you'll probably get married, you'll have children, you'll have a job, 
maybe not the job that you wanted to have, but that's a job that pays you bills. And then that's basically like how your life goes. Maybe you go on vacation once a year and that's kind of it, which is not that exciting. And here in the US, I realized that there are so many different paths that exist and not even paths that exist, paths that you can create. You can create a path on your own. You can actually do, you know, everything is possible. Like everything is possible. If you have dedication, if you are ready to commit your time, if you are ready to commit your heart, you can do amazing things. And of course, not a single society is perfect, but I feel like here there are like less stereotypes. So let's say if you are in your forties in Russia, in my hometown, you could never even imagine to go to university. University. You can never imagine to go back to school. That's just people will look at you and be like, who are you? What are you doing? <laughs> and here it's absolutely normal. When I was in college, there were people who were probably my parents' age and they were also pursuing their bachelor's degree. So it's you you can do anything here and like also other things. You know, when I was in Russia, I was never into sports. I was awkward when it came to physical exercises. And when I came here, I had it in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm not good at that. It took me a while to realize that if I want to run a marathon, I can actually go ahead and run a marathon. (laughs) Of course, I need to train for it. But, you know, everything is possible. And same thing, you know, being a girl from a small town who arrived with literally nothing, building a career in one of the largest beauty companies of the world and like doing things and enjoying things and establishing your personal brand, establishing a business. If you have something in mind, mind, there are so many ways and so many opportunities to make it happen. And I feel like America gives you those opportunities. So I guess that's the American dream for me. So Maria, what are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business? I think the biggest advice is just if you have an idea, just go for it. Go for it and see how it works and give it a shot. I mean, of course, don't if you don't feel very confident for whatever reason, if you are not feeling like taking a huge risk at first, start slow. You can always do something on the side or you can still keep your day job and then do something and just give it a shot. You see how it goes. See if this is something that you will be interested in doing for a long time. See if this is something that where your heart, that is where your heart belongs. You'd rather give it a try and Even if it doesn't work, you have this answer that you tried and it didn't work versus thinking about it for generations, like years and years to come (laughs) and realizing like, oh, I spent my whole life thinking about it and and I never gave it a shot. So yeah, give it a try. If it works, great. If it doesn't, well, maybe there will be another idea (laughs) or maybe there will be something else. It doesn't even have to be, you know, maybe business is not the right thing. Who knows? Some people do well in business and people do well in corporate career. But yeah, the sooner you find out, the better it will be because then you'll know what works for you, what speaks to you, what makes you going, what keeps you going. So yeah, just give it a shot and then figure it out later. And I love ending this show with just go for it, take that risk and you will be able to figure it out and make it happen. Do not wait and live life full of regrets. So thank you. Thank you so much, Maria. 
I'm so excited to see how Rumor Beauty is going to grow and thrive all from your house, apartment, wherever you're at to just massive successes. And thank you so much for bringing Russian beauty to the United States. I'm so excited to dive in and try many of your products. So thank you so much, Maria. Your story is truly inspirational. Thank you, Lena, for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a true pleasure to share my story. And best of luck to all of the aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If there are any links that were mentioned in this episode, make sure to check them out on my website under this episode to find all the links conveniently located in the show notes. I just wanted to ask for a quick favor. If you could please leave a review wherever you're at listening to this podcast. Also, if you're an immigrant entrepreneur and would love to be on my podcast, please email me and we'll get connected. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.